This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. First Corinthians chapter 12. I just want to read uh, two verses at this time. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13. Well, just actually verse 13. First Corinthians 12:13. Paul writing here said, "For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks." whether slaves or free, would all be made to drink into one spirit. For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. This morning I want to continue the theme that we began last Sunday uh, with regard to the Holy Spirit. And uh, we talked about Last Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit's role, first of all, in creation and then in the new creation, being born again of God's Spirit. Then on Sunday evening, we followed that up with the Holy Spirit's role uh, in the life of the unbeliever. Holy Spirit's the one who convicts, who convinces the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So this morning, we want to continue and consider his role in the corporate and individual life of the church. So in the corporate gathering of the church and also our individual lives as believers that constitute the church. The scriptures we read says we have all been baptized into one body and we all drink of the same spirit. Remember that we are the body of Christ and he is the head. The head is in heaven We the body are on earth. And the vital link between us, the body of Christ on earth, and him, the head in heaven, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the energizing, life-giving, sustaining power that keeps us together as body and head. It's mystical. It's supernatural. It's inexplicable. We cannot explain it, but it's real, and it's genuine, and it happens. And so the head in heaven and the body in earth coalesce, unite together as one through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a beautiful picture of this vital role in the Old Testament whenever we consider the story of Adam and Eve and how that God made Adam from the dust of the earth and then breathed into him the very breath of life itself. But when it came to Eve, he did not make Eve from the dust of the earth. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he took a rib from Adam from his side and he made Eve from the rib from the side of man. In a similar kind of way, we could say that the Holy Spirit who recreated us in Christ, who took us, as it were, from the side of Christ on Calvary and made us into his body on earth, made us into his bride on earth, just the way that 
whenever God created Eve from Adam and made Eve from Adam, then he brought her to the man, and this was his bride. Similarly, the Holy Spirit took us from the side of Christ and made us the bride of Christ as the body of Christ on the earth. And so the Holy Spirit right now in the corporate and individual life of the church, his mission, as it were, is to prepare us that he may present us to Christ, as Paul says, as a chaste virgin. That he may prepare us to present us. The Holy Spirit has got a name. He's got a goal. He's got a mission to do something in your life. And that is to prepare you so that he may present you to Christ. And this is an ongoing work of sanctification in your life every single day of your life. The Holy Spirit is doing something in us and wanting to do something in us that will make us more Christ-like, make us more like the bride of Christ that we are and we should be so that he may present us to Christ. And the Holy Spirit will do whatever is absolutely necessary to get us ready for that wonderful, glorious day. Whenever we shall sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, not as guests, but as the bride at the head table. And so there's a lot of work to be done, and he's constantly doing that in our lives on a daily basis. So how does he do this? How does the Holy Spirit prepare us that he may present us to Christ as a chaste virgin? Well, first of all, he brings us into a place of unity. Unity in the body of Christ is absolutely paramount. Jesus, in his great prayer for the church in John 17, if I may just read just a couple of verses, you don't need to turn to this. But in John 17, Jesus is praying for his church. Listen to what he says, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, that was his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved me, as you have loved them. And so you can see even from those just couple of verses that right in the heart of Jesus' great prayer for this church, the one thing that he really desired and wanted to see was a unity within his body in earth. Uh, and we know that the enemy of our souls will try everything to disrupt that unity, to get us disunited and disenfranchised from the body of Christ. That's what his goal is. The Holy Spirit's aim is to unite us in Christ. It's a wonderful thing whenever believers are united together in Christ. On the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place, in one mind. And no wonder the Holy Spirit came with such power and revelation. And so he wants to bring us into a place of unity. Let me just read to you a few verses, and I'm going to read these from the New Living Translation, and you can read it from whatever translation you have got there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I just want to read from verse uh, 30.
Well, let me read from verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into Christ's body by one spirit. And we've all received the same spirit. That was our opening text. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make any less part of the body? Suppose the body were an eye, then how would you hear? Or if the whole body were just one big ear, then how could you smell anything? But God made our bodies with many parts, and he has put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing that a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable and those we clothe with the greatest care, so we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen, while other parts do not require the special care. If God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other equally. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, then all parts are glad. Now all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Here's a list of some of the members that God has placed in the body of Christ. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, then those who have the gift of healing, then those who help others, then those who get others to work together, those who speak in unknown languages. Is everyone an apostle? Of course not. Is everyone a prophet? No. Are all teachers? Does everyone have power to do the miracles? Does everyone have the gift of healing? Of course not. Does everyone, does God give all of us the ability to speak in unknown languages? Can everyone interpret? unknown languages? No. And in any event, you should desire the most helpful gifts. And so the Paul is making, Paul's making it very, very clear that there is a great diversity within the body of Christ, but that diversity must not upset the unity that's in the body of Christ. We're all diverse. We have all different personalities. We have all different giftings. We have all different abilities within the body, but all of us needs to work together as one in Christ. In Romans chapter 12... I'll read from verse 3 of Romans 12. I'll read it again in the New uh, Living Translation. As God's messenger, I give each of you this warning. Be honest in your estimate of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of his one body, and each of us has a different work to do. And since we're all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. 
God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out when you have faith that God is speaking through you. If your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, do a good job of teaching. If your gift is to encourage others, do it. If you have money, share it generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So again, uh, the scriptures show us of the diversity and yet the unity. Ephesians chapter 4. Just one more here. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to read from verse, from verse 11. He is the one who gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. And our responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that there will be mature and full grown, that we will be mature and full grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Then we'll be no longer like little children forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made us made the lie sound like truth. Instead we will hold to the truth in love becoming more and more in every way like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. And so Paul again and again and again uh, teaches the value of unity even in diversity within the church of Jesus Christ. But also the Holy Spirit doesn't want just to bring us into a place of unity, but into a place of harmony. Now there's a difference between unity and harmony. You could tie two cat's tails together and sling them over a clothesline, and you'd have unity, but you certainly wouldn't have harmony. Sure you wouldn't. And there's a difference let me give you a football analogy. The owner of the club, the manager of a club, the players in the club have got a goal. They've got a name. That is either to win the cup or to win the league that they're in. All of them want to do that. All of them are united in that vision to win that cup, to win that league. However, even though they're united in that vision. But yet if there's disharmony within the club, they're not going to fulfill that vision. I have seen, and you have heard many times about, <laughs> they say that the manager has lost the, player, the players, the manager has lost the players. In other words, the players are not, no longer playing for the manager. Uh, there's disharmony. I've actually seen teams where the, where, the, where the guys on the same team are fighting each other on the field, grabbing each other by the throat on the same team. And of course, everybody was shocked. Well, that team is not going to win the cup and it's not going to win the league, that's for sure, because there's such disharmony within that. Their unity is in their vision they've got. They want that, but they need the harmony to get them to that. Are you still with me? It's like in a marriage. 
You know, whenever we get married, we, we have a vision of what we want to be and we want to have a home and perhaps maybe we want to have children uh, and we want to have a happy marriage. We want to go forward together. We have some plans to do together and that's wonderful, that's unity. But unless there's harmony in the home, we'll never fulfill any of that. We'll end up falling out and arguing and fighting and maybe even separating, maybe, who knows, maybe even divorcing because there's no harmony so the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into harmony. By unity, I mean working together. By harmony, I mean living together in relationship and in fellowship. The Holy Spirit absolutely hates strife and contention and backbiting and schism. The Holy Spirit hates that because he knows that what divides the body of Christ on earth. That's what causes the disharmony and the disunity. And he hates that. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, he can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30. Because he's a person who loves us, he can be grieved. You know, it's only somebody that you love and that loves you that can really grieve you. People can annoy you. But for somebody to be grieved, that means they love and it hurts and makes them sorrowful. Well, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We can hurt him. We can make him sorrowful. He can be insulted, Hebrews 10, 29. He can be lied to. Ephesians, sorry, Acts 5, 3. He can be blasphemed in Matthew 12. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. He can be resisted, Acts 7, 51. He can be tested, Acts 5 and 9. He can be vaxxed, Isaiah 63 and 10. He can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. So the Holy Spirit is a person, the person of God the Holy Spirit with all of these feelings and personality. And he can be grieved and vexed and insulted and talked against and fought against and all of that. No wonder he wants us to be in harmony. Let me just read this time from the, from the New King James at a normally read from uh, just a couple of those verses we read before in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you're called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then in verse 25, therefore putting away lying, that each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Now remember Paul here is writing to believers. He's writing to the Christian church. Put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. 
nor give place to the devil. Don't give the devil a foothold, that means. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to, to him who is need. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Building up, that means. That it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were seated for the day of redemption. Note this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Here are things that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Here are things that will cause disunity, disharmony, and hurt and grieve the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, inner hatred, and resentment towards others. I know people who has held on to bitterness for decades. Feeling some injustice was done, rightly or wrongly, but could not, would not let go of it. And all of those years have harbored that deep inner resentment of bitterness. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it warns us lest any root of bitterness springs up from within and causes trouble. Bitterness is like a poison in the soul. And the tragedy is, often the person you would be bitter against has long since moved on, doesn't even think about you, has no recollection of any perceived hurt, and they're getting on with their lives, and all the time this is just boiling inside you. That grieves the Holy Spirit. And it causes disharmony within the body because you cannot function properly as a believer with bitterness in your heart. You can't do it. I know many a pastor, for instance, and it happens within the congregation. I know many a pastor who has been put through the mill by people truly, truly hurt and damaged. And have said to me, if it hadn't been for the Lord taking the bitterness out of my heart, I don't know where I'd be today. But I had to ask the Lord to help me not to be bitter and to take it out of my heart. And one pastor told me, he says, I could meet those people that hurt me so deeply and I could shake their hand today. And I can honestly say I'm not bitter towards them. I've left them with the Lord and have gone on in Christ. Because that bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. Even though you may be justly feeling hurt, even though it's not just a perceived hurt, it was an actual hurt, but if that bitterness springs up from within, it'll poison your soul, and it surely will grieve the Holy Spirit. Wrath, it talks about. Thumos. Hot anger, emotional outbursts, outward display of those things. And in other words, blowing up. Are you given to blowing up? I hope not. Because <laughs> that grieves the Holy Spirit. 
Are you given to hot outbursts? We ought not to be as believers because it will surely grieve the Holy Spirit. That's not the dove of the Holy Spirit. Sure it's not. Ah, but you say you don't know what people's done to me. It makes no difference. We ought not to be given to emotional, angry, passionate outbursts. Anger. And the word here is slightly different than what we imagine. It's an inward, settled condition of the mind that seeks revenge. Hmm. First chance I get, I'm waiting my opportunity. And boy, when it comes, I'm going to enjoy it. Well, that's not the Holy Spirit's way. And that will surely grieve the Holy Spirit. Somebody says revenge is a dish best served cold. But it isn't. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Did anybody that's deeply hurt you and you feel that you want to get revenge, give it to the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord reward him according to his works. I'll leave, I'll leave the results for the Lord. I'll let the Lord deal with that person. And sometimes that's what we've got to do. Rather than become seething and angry and bitter inside and just messing up our whole spiritual lives and actually messing up everybody around us. Because you just can't keep that inside without it bubbling out at times. It will show up. Clamor. Outcry, raised voices, loud quarrelings, shouting, slanging much. <laughs> Wasn't it a tragedy, particularly last year? It's, it's sort of off the headlines at the moment, but last year, without even mentioning, because you'll know who it is, but remember there's a church not a million miles from here, uh, and there was a whole split, and, and it became such a public thing. It was in all the newspapers. It was on television. Uh, I mean, there were... They were actually shouting in the middle of the service at each other. They had loud healers at one point shouting at each other. And the police had to come. Week after week, the police had to come to keep them apart. This is in the house of God. And, and they, could they not see that that's grieving the Holy Spirit? Did, did they think God is happy with that? Whether no matter what's right or what's wrong, I, I don't know all the ins and outs. But regardless, even, even if people perceive to be wronged, would they rather not be wronged than grieve the Holy Spirit? No. In our selfishness, in our flesh, we want, to, we want to be right rather than laying it down so the Holy Spirit's not grieved. I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know what's happening today. Thankfully, it's not in the news. I hope it can be resolved to the satisfaction, but my guess is that will just canker on for a long time and, and that church will just suffer because of it. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit is hurt. It grieves the Holy Spirit. There is no harmony. There's no unity. What a tragedy. Evil speaking, it says, abusive language, bad-mouthing others. Malice, spite, Ill will, 
inward malicious thoughts. David said about Ahithophel, his words were like butter, but inside was like a drawn sword. Holy Spirit can be fire, he can be wind, he can be power, but he can be the gentle dove. And doves don't like clamor and noise and all of that. They don't like that. They fly away. And we want the Holy Spirit, don't we? We want the Holy Spirit in our lives individually. We want the Holy Spirit in our church corporately. We don't want to function without the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing and teaching and showing. But if we get into all that stuff, the Holy Spirit gets grieved He's not going to do anything. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, Paul says in verse 1 of Philippians 2, Is there any encouragement from belonging, from, be, from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. I thank God, and I can say this, and I know that you guys will concur with this. Thank God in the 35 years as a church that we've been going, that we started out with the same trustees who are all here today, and they're still with us. And that doesn't mean that over those 35 years we have agreed with each other on every single thing. But we didn't fall out over anything. We care and we love for each other enough not to fight and argue and be bitter and angry with each other. We decided a long time ago that we work together in this body of Christ. And so far that has worked. And I thank God it has, and I continue to pray that we'll continue to do so. Because that is something that does not grieve the Holy Spirit when he sees us working together as one going forward in Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, and we're almost finished here. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 14, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Now again, I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. 
So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature, sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. But when you're directed by the Holy Spirit, you're no longer subject to the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, partition and demonic activities. You say, well, I certainly wouldn't want to be involved in any of that stuff. But listen, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your little group envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I can understand drunkenness and impurity and all that, but hostility, division, quarreling, fighting. Anyone living that type of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here there is no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, have crucified them there. If we're living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or irritate one another or be jealous of one another. So practical, isn't it? You know... I'm not saying that you are, but you could have a desire to be super spiritual. You could have a desire to have all of the gifts and all of the miracles and everything flowing through your life. You could have all of that. But if we miss out in this, falsehoods will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is getting right down to the basics, isn't it? This is getting down everyday living. And that's the wonderful thing about this thing called the church. Now, there's people who don't want to be bothered with the church. I'm not interested in the church. I just live my life as a Christian all by myself. I don't want to be involved in the church. Well, too bad. Because if you're part of the body of Christ, you are the church. You can't opt out. You may think you can, but you can't. And the thing about being in the church and being in a local fellowship is because then we rub up against each other and then we're tested. And then we're proven. Are we walking this life? Are we living this life? Because being in the church, in the local church, will test us. Now we all know, if I can put it bluntly, we all know there's times we get on each other's nerves. Now don't look at me so holy looking. You know that's true. But we've got to deal with that, don't we? We've got to work that through. And sometimes we've got to lay that at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I don't want to be like that. Help my heart not to be like that because that grieves the Holy Spirit. 
And this is the wonderful thing about the church because that causes us to get all that hard edges knocked off us and to go forward in Christ as one together. That is part of the great work of the Holy Spirit in the church, causing us that he may prepare us, that he may present us as a chaste virgin unto Christ. The things that keep us in harmony, the thing that keeps us in harmony is humility. Humility. Esteeming each other better than ourselves. Thinking soberly of ourselves. Not getting on our high horse. And as leaders, being servants. All of these things is humility which causes harmony. It's whenever we get a bit uppity, isn't it? That's that causes a lot of friction. Whenever we start to throw our weight around, it doesn't please the Lord. It grieves the Holy Spirit. So we want to walk humbly and tenderly before Him. And when we do, then He will present us as a chaste virgin to Christ. He's trying to work this in our lives. Amen? So let's allow the Holy Spirit to do His gracious work in all of our hearts that He is pleased with us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. On earth, He resides in us 24-7. So it behoves us to walk righteously and humbly and reverently before the Lord. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit then works in us and through us to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for that gracious work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he does come into our lives to lead us and to guide us, to empower us, to teach us, to show us, to make Christ real to us, but also to work in our spirit, to tenderize us, to make us humble before you. So we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for all that he does in us and through us. Lord, we want to be shining examples of Christ's likeness. And we know that we cannot do it in our flesh. We cannot do it on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to live through us. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you today, live through us that Jesus may be lifted up and glorified, that others may see Christ's likeness in us on a daily basis. And Lord, where we fail you and we slip up and our flesh gets the better of us, or help us to quickly repent and say, sorry, Lord, help me, Holy Spirit, to live like Jesus. And we'll give you the honor and the glory, Lord, for this great work of your Spirit. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal. 
or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.